together to 1 John chapter 2, uh, where we will be considering verses 18 through 27. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Let's turn our attention to the reading of God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For, they, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that, all, that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. I write these things to you. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our minds to understand, and our hearts to trust and to love, not only this your word, but also the one who it reveals, Jesus, your Son and our Lord, in whose name we ask it. Amen. Well, I imagine uh, that for most of us, there are certain subjects Uh, maybe even certain words that that grab and focus our attention no matter what else may be going on around us. For some, uh, it may be SEC football. Uh, For others, it may be politics or pop culture. I know for a fact that if you are a teenage boy, you can be dead asleep and just the mention of food, actually just the word food, will have you up and ready to go just almost in an instant. It's, it's an amazing thing. Certain subjects, uh, they fascinate us. And for Christians, and really non-Christians alike, there are very few subjects that grip us more than the ones that are before us in our passage this morning. Uh, John here, he uses three, we might call them, Uh, trigger words. In verse 18, he mentions the last hour twice. The end times. He mentions it twice. In verse 18 and 22, he addresses Antichrist. And then in verse 25, he throws out this idea, almost in passing, of eternal life. Not only that, but then in verse 19, he takes up this whole issue of apostasy, those who have seemingly left the faith, they have left the church. Now, all of these subjects are highly debated. All of these subjects have resulted in volumes and volumes of literature. 
And again, they are subjects that absolutely enthrall most of us, whether they should or not. And so, what we want to do today is we want to try to address some of these issues, taking into account, of course, the the context here in 1 John. And I want to do it by really focusing our message around that, that second term, that second word, Antichrist. Now, as I say that word, I can see some of you sort of scoot up in your seat, you're sort of rubbing your hands together. Uh, You're kind of getting really excited about this topic, but not to throw cold water on your enthusiasm, because I love it when you're enthusiastic, even if we're Presbyterian. I love it, but not, I don't want to do that, but, but let me just say we need to be careful here, okay? And there's several reasons why I want to encourage us to be cautious. First, you know, you would think that a word that gets thrown out so often, Antichrist, particularly in Christian circles, you would think as much as we use that word that it would be one that saturates the pages of Scripture, that it would be one that is almost everywhere. But the reality is, did you know that that word actually only occurs here in 1 John and in 2 John. That is the only place in all of Scripture that we find this particular word. To be sure, Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he mentions the man of lawlessness. And then in Revelation, John again talks about the beast. And both of these have been associated with this idea of Antichrist. But the actual term only shows up in John's epistles. And it only shows up four times there. So, what that means is that we really need to focus on what John actually says here. We don't need to speculate, which leads me to the second reason why I want us to be cautious, is because so many do speculate. And to be frank... The majority of the speculation that's out there is unhelpful and untrue. For centuries, people have been trying to identify who or what this Antichrist may be. In the first century, it was Nero, it was the Roman Empire. At the Reformation, it was the Pope. Uh, In our day, it has been world leaders or countries, even celebrities. It's been a whole host of things. And we're going to see that in some of these, there may be some truth. There may be some grains of what we're trying to get to in some of these examples. But for now, we simply need to note that Scripture does not pinpoint any one individual or entity. It gives us parameters. It gives us uh, things that we need to watch out for, but it does not give us the specifics. And so if it doesn't give us the specifics... We need to be careful. If Scripture doesn't pinpoint, then we probably need to be cautious in trying to do that ourselves. So, what we're not going to do today is speculate. Uh, We're not going to throw out opinions. This is not what I believe. This is not what Stephen thinks is is happening here. We're not going to throw out theories. Uh, No, we're going to try as best we can to stick to what Scripture actually says about this term, Antichrist, and let that inform our opinion. 
We're going to proceed today under the assumption that what Scripture gives us, even if it's not as far as we want it to go, what it gives us is sufficient for us, okay? So, with all of that in mind, let's consider knowing and opposing Antichrist. And we're going to do it under three main headings. We're going to try first to define what this term means. Secondly, we're going to try, as far as Scripture will let us, to identify where John's trying to push us, where the Holy Spirit is trying to push us here. And then third, we're going to ask, how can we oppose this idea of Antichrist, both in our lives, in the life of the church, and out in the world? So, defining, identifying, and opposing. Let's look at it together. First, in this passage, let's try to define Antichrist. Now, In order to do that, the first thing that we need to ask is, what exactly uh, is this concept all about? Is it a person? Is it persons, multiple individuals, a group, an entity? Or is it a spirit that pervades this present evil age? Well, take note here that for John, the answer to that seems to be, Yes, all of these things. In verse 18, Antichrist is first a larger concept. Notice there in verse 18, he does not say the Antichrist. He says just merely Antichrist. It is a bigger, larger idea that he is trying to present to us there. Later, though, in that same verse... It is a group of individuals. He says many antichrists have come. Then in verse 22, John zeroes in more maybe on a particular individual. He at least lets us know that there are individuals who who represent this sort of thing. Chapter 4 and in verse 3, it is a spirit of antichrist that he presents to us. And then finally in 2 John verse 7, It is once again many deceivers, many individuals who act in a certain way or who deny certain things. So, when referring to Antichrist, John may have in mind this man of lawlessness from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He may have in mind the figure in Revelation, the beast. But that's certainly not all that he has in mind. In fact, I would submit to you here, that's not even primarily what or who he has in mind. It's clear here that John wants his readers to be cautious of a whole host of individuals who embody this idea. He wants them to be cautious of organized groups that embody this idea, and he wants them to be aware of a larger spirit that is out there in the world. Now, if you were with us last week, then you know that this sort of gets us back to where we were then. In verse 15, John said in chapter 2, he said, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. Why? Verse 16, For all that is in the world is not from the Father. It's not from the Father but it is from the world, a world that is steeped in Antichrist. Now, we're going to come back and we're going to say more about this specifically in just a moment. But let's continue down our road of just trying to define for now 
what this term Antichrist is all about. And we want to do that, secondly, by asking what is it specifically uh, that warrants this term? Okay, what, what makes an individual or a group or a spirit or whatever it is, what, what makes it Antichrist? Well, look at verse 22. He asked, who is the liar? And he gives us the answer. It is he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He goes on to say, he who denies the Father and the Son is Antichrist, is the Antichrist. The term Antichrist really says it all, right? The, the issue, uh, the one that, that shapes Every individual's lives, not yours and mine and these people, everybody's life is the question. Uh, it's a Christological question. It's a question of who is Jesus, right? That, that's the question the whole idea of Antichrist is rooted in. Friends, this is why we spend so much time talking about the person and work of Christ. That's why throughout church history, creeds, and confessions and councils have done the hard work of trying to just hammer out exactly what it is that we believe about this Jesus. This is why they spilled so much ink trying to define the Trinity and the two natures of Christ, that He is both God and man in hyperstatic union. This is why they spilled so much ink trying to define penal substitutionary atonement or, or real bodily resurrection and ascension, the real bodily resurrection of Christ. We have to know who Christ is. We have to know what He did. Because if we don't, then we, uh, we at least run the risk of falling into these errors that these people that John are describing have made. Friends, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear this. Your eternal well-being rests on the question, who is Jesus? What did he do? Do you know the answer to that? Are you resting in him today? Well, the Antichrist is any individual, any group or spirit that denies Jesus is the Christ, is the Son, and in so doing, rejects both he and the Father. And then finally, as we try to define this term Antichrist, let, let's consider sort of a time frame. And Ben ha has kind of helped us on this road. He has got our minds thinking this way. But specifically, let's ask, what does John mean by this term, the last hour? Again, he says it here in verse 18. He says it twice. Uh, and we might be tempted to think, well, if it was the last hour in John's day, which was probably somewhere around 70 to, to 90 A.D., uh, then maybe this whole issue of Antichrist is one that has come and gone. You know, maybe it's something that, that we don't really need to be worried about anymore. It certainly leads us to a larger question uh, of what are we to believe about the end times? What are we to believe about these last days? Because that's really what John is referring to here. You know, just like Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, just like Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, just like the author of Hebrews in chapter 1 and in verse 2, just like James, almost all of the New Testament writers suggest that they are in the last days. 
it's clear that they are anticipating the imminent return of Jesus. And so this leads us to a hard question. Did they get it wrong? Were they wrong when they said these are the last days? Well, to make a a very, very long story short, uh, and without getting into millennial views and end-time theologies, the vast majority of Reformed theologians and really conservative theologians define this idea of last days as that period uh, beginning with Christ's resurrection, beginning with his ascension, and ending with his second coming. And so the idea is that the whole New Testament age from then to now until he comes, constitutes and makes up the end times, the last hours. In other words, we, just like John, are living in the last hours. We are living in the last days. And it is in this time that we are called to be ready and to anticipate Christ's glorious return. It is in this time, as Ben has reminded us so well, that we are called to be ready. Friends, we spend way too much time trying to figure out exactly when the last day is coming. That was not Jesus' intent in telling us that it was coming. His intent was so that whenever it comes, we would be ready. We would be found looking to him, anticipating his return. Whether that is today or tomorrow or 2,000 years from now or longer than that, his goal was that his people would be waiting, that they would be ready, that they would at all times be looking for him. Now, there's a lot more that can and should be said about all of this. But for now, I just want you to consider what this concept of the last days means for the vast majority of what the New Testament says about those last days and specifically what it says about this Antichrist. All of these things are not primarily things that we're looking to in the future, though those things may be coming in the future. They are things... And they're not simply just things that have happened in the past, but they are things that we anticipate now. He isn't just a person, this Antichrist. is isn't just an issue that John had to deal with in his time, but it is uh, an issue, a person, an individual, a spirit that has been active since Christ was raised, and it will be active until he returns. It is anything or anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, defining Antichrist. Secondly, I want us here to, to try to identify as far as we can uh, Antichrist. Now, again, I want us to be careful here because any time that we try to point out specific individuals, we're getting way too far down the road. But what we can do is, based on the parameters that that John gives us, is we can identify places that we need to be cautious, okay? So let's do that just with the time that we have left. Um, For instance, or well, just based off of our sermon last week, uh, we recognize uh, that there are dangers in the world, that there are antichrists out there. For instance, if we take verse 23 to its necessary end, 
then what we recognize is that every other world religion, it is not, as so many would try to tell us today, another way to the same God that we are all trying to get to. Every other world religion is not equally valid, but they are, by definition, here in 1 John, Antichrist, Buddhism, and Islam, and Judaism, and Jehovah's Witnesses, all of them, they deny that Jesus is the Christ. They deny that He is the Son, that He is equal with the Father. They therefore, according to John, do not have the Father and are lost. Now look, I recognize, even as I say it, that those are hard words. And those are words that are not popular in their opinion. But friends, they're not my opinion. It's this, again, this is not me talking here. This is exactly what John is saying to us. And more importantly, this is what Jesus says to us. In John chapter 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and none come to the Father but through me. There is one way, and it is Jesus. So, we identify in other world religions this spirit, this idea of Antichrist. But we can also look back over history and we can define this same, or identify this same idea in a whole host of persons and groups and ideas, right? For instance, you think about those Roman emperors that denied Jesus, that persecuted his people. You think of world leaders even closer to our time who have committed terrible atrocities, who would deny that Jesus is Lord. All of them, they take up this same idea. They embody this idea of Antichrist. Certain governments, certain organizations, uh, certain forms of entertainment. All of that can land square within the definition that we have given this morning. And so my point is that all around us, this spirit is pervasive. As one commentator says, he says, we're not on the lookout for an emerging secret society or a mysterious political figure. He says, no, the, the enemy is more obvious than that. The enemy is all around us, yet the enemy is not easily overcome. The spirit of Antichrist, it's out there in the world. But notice also, and friends, this, this is going to hit a whole lot closer to home maybe for us. Notice that this same idea can be found in verse 19, even in the church. Let's read verse 19 one more time. It says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Now this is a verse that clearly needs a whole lot of discussion and thankfully the Bible gives us a whole host of examples that, that go along with what we want to try to say today. So let's, let's work through this just quickly. First, let's try to wrap our minds around what the situation is John's presenting to us. It seems that John's readers had recently seen maybe a group, uh, maybe a whole host of people within the church leave. They, they had denied the faith and they had left. Now he doesn't explicitly say this, 
But it seems reasonable to assume when he says that they went out from us that these were people who were members of the visible church. They attended worship services. They participated in the life of the church. And they had most likely made professions of faith. They probably had been baptized. From all outward appearances, these are people who seem to be believers. And yet, they left the confines of the church. They denied Christ. And now, they are portrayed here as this whole idea of Antichrist. It's very much the same kind of thing that we read in the book of Hebrews. You remember in Hebrews chapter 3, the author there reminds us of that first generation of Israelites who came all the way to the promised land, but then... They, they rebelled against God, and so the, the result was that they didn't get to enter the promised land. And you remember, he warns us. He says, don't be like that generation who was unbelieving, who though they had all, all of it right there in front of them, they ultimately showed their, their reality, the reality of their hearts. They were not truly believers. And then in chapter 6, uh, and in verse 4, he says that hard, hard verse. You know, it is impossible for those who have fallen away to ever be brought back is basically what he says. Now, again, we don't have time to, to jump into that verse, but the, the idea is the same as what John is presenting here. These are people who have committed apostasy. They have left the, the confines of the visible church. Now, the question for us is what's happened here? Um, are these instances of believers losing their salvation? Are are these instances of true believers who decide, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, and they lose whatever it was that they had as they were resting in Christ? Well, the obvious and right answer to that question is no. Um, But it needs some, some explanation. You know, often when we talk about a believer's security of salvation, we use the phrase, once saved, always saved. Now look, that's not a bad phrase in and of itself. And in fact, the truth of it is right here in these verses. He says, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. In other words, those who are truly resting in Christ, truly saved, nothing can pluck them from the Father's hand. Nothing can separate them from the love that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, If you're truly resting in Christ today, then once saved, always saved. It does, in a sense, truly apply to you. The problem with that little phrase is that many interpret it to mean as long as I have made a profession of faith, as long as I have prayed a prayer or walked an aisle, then it doesn't really matter what I do after that. I can live how I want to. I can do what I want to. I can even live in sin or even walk away from all of this that is in the church, and it won't really matter Because you know, once saved, always saved. Well, friends, these passages, John and Hebrews and James and Revelation, they show that that kind of once saved, always saved isn't true. It isn't the intent of Scripture. No, the better phrase and the one that we so often use is the perseverance of the saints. And what we mean by that is not that those who are saved will be sinless. 
we don't mean that those who are saved will not fall into grievous error. But what we mean is that true believers will never completely fall away. They will persevere in the faith because the one who saved them, His grace is at work in their hearts and He keeps them all the way to the end. This is why the author of the Hebrews says so many times, keep going, don't stop. This is why Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 that he presses on for the prize of the upward call that is in God. That is in God, is in Christ Jesus. He's straining there for the prize, knowing that he who began a good work in him will bring it to completion. True believers, by the grace of God, they persevere. They keep going. They don't fall away. Even if they fall into grievous error, ultimately, they keep going. They keep following after their Savior. And so these particular people, back in 1 John chapter 2, though they looked the part, though they talked the talk, they never were truly believers. And the evidence rests in the fact that they walked away. They were wolves in sheep's clothing. Or to bring us back to our point, they were antichrist among God's people. The threat was not merely out there somewhere. It was right in their midst. It had seeped into the church. And friends, that leaves us with two great warnings. Foremost, these passages, they are there to force us to ask the question, First, are we resting in Christ? Secondly, are we persevering in our faith? It's easy to come here week after week and to put on a good show and to talk the talk and to walk the walk and to look really Christian, but not to truly be resting in Christ alone for salvation. Friends, are you trusting in Him today? Is your life bearing the fruit of that salvation? Let me tell you, if you are tempted today to stop, to get off the tracks, to leave the church, to leave Christianity, please don't do that. Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Cling to Him. Cling to His grace and the grace that, that He gives. Fine. That, that it will give you the strength. He will give you the strength to keep going. He will work in your heart so that you will persevere. He will see you to the end. Rest in Him. The second great warning is as we look for and identify these antichrists, let us be careful to guard not only against attacks from outside the church, but let us be careful to guard the sheep in the church. Session members, hear what John is saying to us today. Our obligation is to protect God's people. And we, we want to do that from outside to be sure. But he says to us, you have to be careful with what's on the inside as well. Be careful. At the top of your sheet, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verses 8-11, through 11, Peter says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, 
lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Satan prowls. And friends, we know because Jesus told us that there are always tares among the wheat. And so the, the call here is to be on guard. And be on guard knowing that the grace of God, the grace of the one who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. He will establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Friends, we've made it to the end of our time, and we still have another point to go. So, we are going to stop here for today, and we're going to pick back up next week. But what we've done is we have defined Antichrist. And look, let me say to you before we end, I recognize that this sermon has gone a lot of places. We've covered a lot of topics, a lot of big topics that need a lot of explanation. And it's kind of been a whirlwind through them all. So, Let's try to focus our attention back to the point that is before us. Okay, so first, we defined Antichrist. It is any individual or group or spirit that rejects that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. And then secondly, we try to identify some of those individuals, groups, spirits, that, that might be working against us. And we said that we need to be wary of them, that we need to be on guard and next week, we're going to see how we can do that, how we can oppose the Antichrist. Well, let's pray together. Father God, we are so thankful that, that you have given us your word, and in it you have given us these great warnings, uh, warnings of, of what we need to be aware of, what we need to be wary of, uh, what we need to be on the lookout for. Uh, and Father, that truth is not only outside of our walls, but, Lord, it is even within Christian circles, even within Christian denominations. And so, uh, Lord, as your people, we pray that you would, first and foremost, establish us as your people. That means that, that we are resting by faith in Christ and in Him alone, and you are at work in our hearts through the power of the Spirit, uh, strengthening us, giving us everything that we need. Uh, Lord, the reality is, is apart from you, we would never hope to persevere. We would never hope to make it to the end. If it's left up to us, Father, we will surely fail. And so our, our hearts cry is preserve us, keep us, hold us tight, Father. And how we rejoice that, that for those who truly belong to you, you absolutely do that. You never let us go. Nothing can separate us from your love. Help us to, to continue to press on towards that goal, but Lord, we also ask that you would help us to, to be aware, help us to be cautious, help our session members, help our, our officers, help us to, to look out at the world and see it for what it is, and to rest solely in what you have done. Uh, Lord, we, we ask that you would make these that are hard verses, uh, make them clear to us. So we pray for those who are thinking of leaving the church today. Lord, grip their hearts and bring them back, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As we conclude, let us encourage one another to persevere, to stay the course. Hymn number 677.